As we prepare our hearts for worship this week, you know, in the busyness of all the stuff, the trappings of Christmas, the, the shopping, the wrapping, the parties, um, and the preparations, um, we, need, we need the Word of God to remind us of what, what Christmas is truly about. And this morning, uh, this morning and then actually on Friday night as well, we're going to be diving into Isaiah 9 uh, because Isaiah holds out for us uh, a great reminder of what this Christmas season is about. So I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and make your way there to Isaiah 9. Um, Isaiah 9 is really a form of a birth announcement. So let me have the attention of all the parents in the room. When you first made out your first announcement of your first child's uh, birth, what were the emotions going on in your heart and mind when you wrote that, that birth announcement? You know, were you like, uh, you know, this is great and all, but I guess we have to let people know about our son or our daughter coming. You know, were you kind of aw shucks? I, I guess we have to. No, you were, you were excited because God had blessed you with a child and you wanted people to know about it. This morning, what we're going to read in Isaiah 9 is a birth announcement. This is a little bit of a different birth announcement because it actually comes uh, 700 years before the actual birth of Christ. So maybe a little different than your birth announcement. But, but just as, as birth announcements go, this birth announcement of Christ landed on the hearts of the people who heard it, the nation of Israel, with joy and excitement. And so, you know, we can read... We can read Isaiah 9 like, oh, okay, this sounds good. You know, a wonderful counselor, good. I'm glad to know that. That's not how they would have received it. This was a birth announcement of great joy because the people in Isaiah's time in Israel were struggling. They had removed themselves largely from God. They were no longer following his righteous rule. And God had, had judged them. And now they're hearing about a coming king who would rule with righteousness and justice and truth. And so this birth announcement is unlike any other. In fact, this king is unlike any other in all of history. And so we're going to read together, uh, starting in verse 2. Again, Isaiah 9, starting in verse 2 through verse 7. Uh, as I read the word of God, I will remind us that this is God's holy, perfect, inerrant word given to you for your good and his glory. This is the word of the Lord. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. Interesting preface to a birth announcement. Here's the birth announcement. For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name 
shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, this morning as we look into these two verses, verses 6 and 7, that you have preserved for us this birth announcement that comes to us this morning You've preserved it for us so that we could anticipate with great joy and rejoice with great joy in the coming of Jesus Christ. Lord, in this Christmas time, it's easy to see Jesus be eclipsed by all kinds of commotion. And yet we settle our hearts this morning. We look at your word and we pray that you would speak to us and remind us afresh this morning, Father, of what Christmas is all about with the coming of this mighty King. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord help us to be reminded of what this Christmas season is all about. The main theme I see in these verses is this, very simply, Christ Jesus comes to us as the redeeming, ruling King. Christ Jesus comes to us as the redeeming, ruling king. So how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? We're going to look at the nature of his coming. It was very unique, so we'll look at the nature of his coming. Then we'll look at the character of this king, of who he is. And then we'll conclude by talking about, okay, what difference does this make for our lives today? What, why does this matter? That's how we'll go from here. So we're going to start first with the advent of the king. Look with me at verse 6. Verse 6 again says, To us a child is born, to us a son is given. Who is this child? Why is this child so distinct? Think about the history of Israel. They've had kings for a long time. So the, the prophecy about another king maybe wouldn't get them so excited, but there's something about this king that would be very distinct. And in answering the question, what is distinct about this king, let me for a moment just zoom out from this particular passage and talk about the purpose of the whole book of Isaiah. The purpose of the book of Isaiah was that God had moved through the prophet Isaiah to declare a message. And that message was that God had not given up on the people that had given up on him. That God is of a nature where he is faithful to his promises. That God never backs down on his word. And God had promised to Israel all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 that through Abraham and through the Abrahamic line, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. Well, you read that promise and you think, how in the world could that be possible? How in the world could 
through one man and through one God's promise, how could all of the nations of the world be blessed? Well, it's by the coming of this king. See, there would be a a son greater than David that would come and establish the throne in righteousness, in judgment, in truth, and in peace. And at this time in Israel's history, they were in tumult. Again, this is 700 years before Christ ever showed up. And what was happening in Israel is people had forgotten God. They had left him behind. They said, God, we don't need you. We don't need your rules. We don't need anything about you. They had largely left him behind. And God, through his love for the people of Israel, had sent judgment upon them so that they would be awakened from their stupor and they would be reminded of who he is in his heavenly throne. The purpose of this book is that this message would get through, that God, that God doesn't let go on any of his promises, that, that even when people are walking away, he is a faithful God to speak to us. He is a faithful God to reach to us. And I don't know where you are this morning, but you're here and God is reaching to you through this message this morning. The message of this little baby Jesus. For to us, a child is born. To us, he has a destination and it's our hearts. He's coming to us. A son is given. He's coming because God is looking for you. How will this king come? Well, he comes in, as you know, great humility. He comes in humility. He comes not with the the brawn of guns and, and guns blazing as he rides into Jerusalem on this white, great, mighty horse. No, God, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, he comes into a manger. He's born in a a little insignificant town like Bethlehem. He is, he is not placed in a, at least the comfort of an inn because there was no room for the inn and there was no mistake. God hadn't uh, overlooked one detail in the process. No, he came to that manger to communicate something to you and to me. And that is that from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs, Jesus, the Son of God, relates to all of us. He came to save us. In fact, he comes in great weakness, although with great power. I was reading John Watts. He says this, God was powerful enough to destroy his enemies in an instant, yet again and again, when Isaiah comes to the heart of the means of deliverance, a childlike face peers out at us. I like that phrase, a childlike face. Though God could have shown up with with great might and power and commanded everyone to worship him immediately, he could have done that. No, he shows his power by humbly coming as a child. Born to a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, this is the God-man. This is the one who is distinct from everyone born in history. This is Jesus Christ, the Lord. This message got through to the people of Israel and they were strengthened and encouraged as they anticipated the work that this God child would do. See, God is a faithful, God is a promise-keeping God and he will never 
go back on his promise. Sometimes I think we, we forget that, don't we? That when we read parts of Scripture where we see God promising certain things to us, um, we forget that God never forgets his promise. He promises to you and to me that he will never let us go, that he will never forsake us, he will never forget us. God is a promise-keeping God. And because God keeps his promises, he kept the promise not only to Abraham in Genesis 12, but actually to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, when he said, one day there is going to come one who will crush the head of Satan. And this is this dream now being fulfilled. And so the people of Israel, when they heard this birth announcement, they were excited. Though they had forgotten God and had left him behind, this reminder of this promise that was coming, this would have brought good news. This birth announcement was Good news. Now, how does that good news take form? What shape does this come? Now, we'll move to the description of this king. Verse 6 reminds us as well that the government shall be upon his shoulders. What does that mean? It means that he is this Christ child, this, this king who's being born. He is fully capable of carrying and sustaining all. His strength is unrivaled. His wisdom is unsearchable. His glory, unimpeachable. The names of Christ have deep meaning, and we're just going to walk through each of the four that we see here. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's start with Wonderful Counselor. The counsel that comes from the Almighty King, the Christ child, will be unfailing in its depth of wisdom. It is a wisdom that supersedes any human thought or conception. It is a wisdom from above. So that when you turn to Jesus Christ, what you receive is perfect, undiluted wisdom all the time. You will never get bad counsel from the wonderful counselor. You will never receive anything that which is untrue. Jesus Notice he's not just a counselor, but he is the perfect counselor. His wisdom goes beyond our ability to understand, and he is perfect in all of his ways. He is wonderful counselor. He is, secondly, he is mighty God. His strength and his power have no limits. We're pretty good at limiting God and what he can do, but God himself has no ability, or excuse me, no, nothing that his ability can't uh, accomplish. He can accomplish anything at the command of his will. He is eternal, and he is infinite and unchangeable in his power and perfections, in his goodness and glory, in his wisdom and justice and truth. And we know this to be the case, that nothing happens except through him, and what? By his will. This is the God that is showing up on the scene. This is the king that Israel is getting excited about because he is mighty God. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. Now this is an interesting description of the Son of God, because we believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. So is Isaiah here a little bit confused 
when he calls, uh, calls uh, or references Jesus as everlasting father. No, I don't believe he's confused at all. Isaiah isn't teaching us that God the Son is the same person as God the Father. Rather, instead, he's emphasizing the character and the nature of the Son of God and his father-like qualities. In other words, he, like a father, he protects us. Like a father, he provides for us. Like a father, he cares for us and he oversees all of our needs. He treats us like a father treats his children. You may recall when, when the disciples were with Jesus and they said, uh, you know, show us the Father. And, and Philip is the one that said that. And Jesus turned to Philip and said, Philip, have you not been with me? If you see me, you see the Father. And so in the Son of God, we see those Father-like qualities of provision and care and protection. He is. He is the Almighty God. He is the Heavenly Father. He is the Prince now of Peace. This last description of Christ is a glorious one. What sort of king is this child going to be? What will be the effect of his righteous reign? He is the ruler whose reign will be distinct from every other reign in the history of the world. Because in the history of the world, and in particular in the history of Israel, they have had kings, some of whom were good and benevolent, but many of whom... Uh, ruled for their own purposes, ruled for their own blessing, ruled in their own interests. This would be a king who could restore peace where there has been no peace. How do we see this? We see this through the king's sacrifice. While many kings can rule with benevolence, this king expresses his kingship by taking on a donkey on the week before Easter and riding on a donkey, the most humble of animals, and goes into Jerusalem, the holy city, on a donkey. And through the course of the week, of the events, he watches his own disciples disown him. And on Friday... As he is whipped and beaten, he is nailed to a cross to take upon himself the sins of everyone who had ever turned to him in faith. This king is utterly distinct from all other kings in his self-sacrifice. And this king is the God-man. Therefore, when he died, Jesus Christ died on that cross as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins God accepted them on our behalf. Now we have to receive those, uh, that forgiveness from God. We have to accept the terms, if you will, of peace. And that is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. The truth of the matter is, dear friends, this morning there is a reality, a place called hell. And hell is a real place where people who reject the offer of Christ's sacrifice are, are sent for all eternity. That's what the Word of God declares. All of Scripture finds its expression in Jesus Christ and those who reject this child, this king, this babe in the manger and his sacrificial death on the cross. All who reject his offer of forgiveness find themselves in this awful place called hell. 
And yet, the description of Jesus here, catch it, it's Prince of Peace. He is the one, the only one, who can bring you peace. You can search the whole world over. You can find yourself in the Himalaya mountains trying to get, get peace with God. You can go all over the place. You can look for all kinds of wisdom. You can, you can run the whole world over looking for peace. You will not find eternal peace in anyone but Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings peace where there is no peace. This Christmas season, I, I know we're all busy. We have many things to attend to. I pray for your heart, even as I pray for my own, that we would attune ourselves to this peace that Christ offers. You know, sometimes as I reflect on, uh, you know, growing up in Connecticut as a, as a little kid, uh, you know, I always thought, man, once I get this toy or once I get this thing or once I, I'm in this situation, especially at Christmas time, I just remember my Sears wish book that I would circle. And I, I remember thinking, man, if I had that toy, I would be so happy. And you know what happens. Christmas Day comes and my mom and dad are very gracious and I, I find the very thing that I wanted that I circled and, and tore out of the wish book and put it on. The, like they actually got it and I played with it for 15 minutes and you know what happened? There it sat because nothing can ever satisfy outside of Jesus Christ for a kid and it's not that much different for us as adults either. We will look the whole world over and not find peace until we rest and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. Look how this further describes him in verse 7. I just want to read this and make a comment or two, and then we'll wrap up with what does this mean for us. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, by the way, um, Richard Eckhart, if you're in the house, I, um, at 3 o'clock this morning, so I, I, I got really sick yesterday. I took a COVID test. I can't, I'm not, I'm good. Uh, but I, I got really sick yesterday, and I was, <laughs> I was laying in my living room at 3 a.m. this morning. It's like, okay, who am I going to call to preach um, because I was temperature, the whole thing, and uh, I didn't. Th so, Richard, you were the one I was going to call. So, <laughs> thanks for bearing with me. I, I just don't feel very well. What's that? Yes, that's right. That's right. Here's, here's how this description of this king ends. Of the increase of his government, when will that end? It will not end. Uh, the ESV study Bible has this phrase in there. It says, the empire of his grace will forever expand. I like that. The empire of his grace will forever expand. It's not going to diminish. It doesn't go smaller and smaller. No, it goes grander and grander. And what does that mean for you and me today? That his empire is ever expanding 
that, that more and more people are, are coming to Jesus Christ as the gospel goes throughout the world. What does that mean? It means that there's comfort for us to be had. When the world seems to be going in all different kinds of crazy directions, when we see things in our culture and th see things around the world that, are, that, it, that just seems like the world is out of control, and you know what I mean. This morning we have hope because we have one upon whom the government rests of the entire planet. And it's going to increase. His rule and his reign continues to increase over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Things that are true and good and will always be there. And then I love how he seals it at the very end. Look at the very last uh, sentence of verse 7. As if these Israelite folk needed to have some kind of promise, he seals it with a promise and he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What does that mean? What is he saying? He's saying, listen, this king, this Christ child, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this everlasting father, this prince of peace, this government that will not end his rule and his reign, it's not going to end. And if you doubt it, I just want to say that the zeal of the Lord is going to accomplish this. That means it will not fail. God's rule, God's reign over your life and my life, it will not fail. It will not diminish. It will not turn aside. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, let me try and bring this home as we ask the question, what is, what is the significance of this king for us in our day and age. What, what, why does this matter? I see four things briefly here. Uh, the significance of the king means, number one, the coming of Christ means that God loves you. That's what it means. The coming of Christ means that God loves you, that he loves to demonstrate his care for you, and he did that through sending Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to take upon himself the sins of the world, that he would take upon himself on that cross the sins that you and I commit so that by faith in Jesus Christ, we might have our sins forgiven and peace restored with God. This is what it says. The coming of Christ means that God loves you, means that God is reaching toward you. He didn't have to come, but he did come because he loves you. This is the message of Christmas. Christ coming for you. The second thing it means, it means that God became man to identify with you. The literal, you know, John says he tabernacled with us. What does it mean to, to tabernacle with someone? It's kind of a funky word. It means to pitch his tent in your backyard. It literally means to pitch his tent with you. God coming to man and becoming the God man means that he wants to relate with you in your struggles and in your challenges and your joys and in your sorrows, this God-man comes so that we have a Savior who knows what it's like to have an awful night like I had last night. We have a Savior who knows what it's like to experience friends walking away from you, not being faithful to you. He knows what it's like for people to have a death wish out for you. He knows what it's like to experience rejection. He knows what it's like 
to experience pain. See, that's what the message of Christmas tells us, that God isn't sitting up in his heaven apart from the pain of your experience. He left the halls of heaven to come and live and dwell with us so that he could know us and walk with us and ultimately to redeem us. That's what this Christmas means. It means that he loves you. It means that he came to identify with you. And he, thirdly, he came to restore peace with God if we will accept his terms. If we will accept his terms. His terms are repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've put your faith and trust in him, you know what? You have peace with God. Peace with God. I was talking to somebody yesterday who had lost a friend to COVID. I don't know this person. I've never met them. Um, But I was talking about peace. How do we have peace with God in a world that seems so uncertain? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by faith in him. That regardless of what today holds and regardless of what tomorrow holds, we know that we are forgiven by the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And so if we desire peace, peace is available to us. The significance of this king is that he came for you and that he came to give peace. Fourthly and finally, and this one I hope you are encouraged as well by, those who trust in Christ enjoy his almighty provision and care. His almighty provision and care. So if you're a believer here this morning, many of you are, many of you do believe, you have repented of your sins and you've trusted in Jesus Christ. Listen to who your king is. He is the wonderful counselor who will never lead you astray. He is almighty God who has all power at his disposal to do anything at any time for your good and for his glory. He is your everlasting father. His care and his provision and his protection never ends. And he is the prince of peace as you have trusted in him. So that makes everything different. On this Christmas week, as we celebrate, as we remember, as we give thanks, we have reason to hope. We have reason to hope because our king is alive. That, that death couldn't hold him in that grave. As he, as he died on that cross, he was, he was brought down into the grave and, and death couldn't hold him. He came, Jesus Christ came to destroy the power of sin and death. And if he can destroy the power of sin and death, do you think he can meet your needs this week? Do you think he can care for you this week? If he can beat death at its own game, yes, he can. May we have hope and joy and comfort, not because everything in our lives is going perfectly well, but because we know a God and we are intimately acquainted with God because our sins are forgiven, he has given us peace, and because he is the one who is powerful to save and powerful to care for us. So let me close as I started this birth announcement, this message of great joy that shall be for all the people. Here it is. Christ came to love you. Christ came to save you. Christ came that you might have peace. 
and you might have joy for all eternity, resting in his kingship. He is the eternal and almighty king. Oh, would you turn to him today? Would you stand with me as we prepare now to sing our closing song? Lord, the messages that we receive so often about this time of year is about gifts and it's about getting family together and and having a good time. And all those things are are wonderful uh, expressions of your care for us. Uh, But Lord, we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge and focus this morning on what this season is truly all about. Jesus Christ is the center of all history, all of this this word of God. It's all about him. And when he came, he came into our world to take our infirmities on himself, that he would die on that cross in our place, that he would rise from the dead and offer now to us eternal life through the forgiveness of our sins by faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for this gift. What an inexpressible gift we have this morning in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, and we pray together right now that anyone who who does not know that deep and abiding peace in their hearts, oh God, that you would open their eyes to see the Prince of Peace. That he even now, right now, offers forgiveness and hope and joy that lasts for all eternity. Lord, turn our eyes to you. We celebrate you. We give thanks for you. And would you help us as we reach out today with the cookies on Wednesday by singing through the rest of the week as we reach out to share the hope of Jesus Christ with other people. Lord, receive the glory and the honor and the praise. We love you, our King who came and who is coming again. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.